you take your third general license test in your intern year. And I flunked I have never flunked anything in my life. It's over two days. I think it was like eight hours one day, five hours the next day. And there was just like no way for me to focus for that amount of time. That's when I was like, yep, we got to do this again because I can't be unmedicated and take like a, what is that, 12, 13 hour test. From the Understood Podcast Network, this is How'd You Get That Job? A podcast that explores the unique and often unexpected career paths of people with learning and thinking differences. My name is Eleni Matteo, and I'm a user researcher here at Understood. That means I spend a lot of time thinking about how we find jobs we love that reflect how we learn and who we are. I'll be your host. Dr. Lucrece Rupert is a child, adolescent, and adult psychiatrist with ADHD. She co-founded the organization Physician Women's Saw, Support, Organize, Advocate, Reclaim, and she participates in Black Leaders Acquiring Knowledge, also known as Black. She's a Black neurodiverse LGBTQ woman, and she discusses how these intersectional identities have played a role in her diagnosis, her career, and her life. Her neurodiversity allows her to connect with patients who learn and think differently, and it's what makes her a great physician. Welcome to the show, Lucrece. Thank you for inviting me. So you're our very first doctor on the show. I thought a good place to start would be just telling us about what you do. So I'm a child, adolescent, and adult psychiatrist. In my practice, I see children with any and every diagnosis. And then I also see vulnerable adults with developmental disabilities. So adults that are in group homes, or even if they're at home, just the more vulnerable adults with developmental disabilities. So that's what I do day to day. What is something that you think would surprise people about your day to day as a psychiatrist? Well, I think that one is that I'm really open with my families about my own struggles, you know, kind of in psychiatry, especially in the past. You know, psychiatrists were supposed to be, quote unquote, this blank slate of perfection. And our patients were not supposed to know anything about us uh, because they were coming to us for help. So, you know, we couldn't, quote unquote, need help. But my kids and I call my patients my kids. My kids very much enjoy the fact that sometimes I don't know what I'm doing either. (laughs) as all kids do. (laughs) But I have kids that have special needs. In addition to I'm neurodiverse myself, my kids are neurodiverse. Most of my patients are neurodiverse, not all of them. So and I also live in a smaller community. So my patients might actually have some of the same resources and supports as my actual children. I think that surprises people is that I don't mind telling them that I know what they're going through and not in like this condescending way that sometimes people do like, oh, I'm going through that too. You can handle it. But truly, we're all trying to figure things out and do the best we can with what we have. So I think that's one thing that's surprising for people that don't know me. I'm sure that really helps you connect with your patients and also makes it feel less scary for them that they can see you as a role model who has been through this before right. and, and is doing really well. Right, right. I am neurodiverse. I'm still a psychiatrist. I still made it through medical school. And in fact, I made it through medical school undiagnosed, which I do not recommend at all <laughs> to be undiagnosed and, and untreated. Can you talk a little bit about your diagnosis journey? So I was in medical school when I realized I was ADHD. I mean, there's kind of a joke in medical school that you think you have everything you learn about. So I kind of did the whole like, do I really have ADHD? Am I just doing the medical student thing? I was pretty sure that I did have ADHD, but I did go see a psychologist in medical school to try to get diagnosed. 
And he told me I did not have ADHD, but did not really share anything else. So I asked for my medical records and looking through my medical records, he basically put that I was not smart enough to be in medical school. And that's why I was struggling. And that I was narcissistic because I thought that I could do great things. And the example he put of the great things that I could do was like be in medical school, which I was literally in medical school at the time. So after that experience, I didn't go back until actually as an intern. So you take your third general license test in your intern year. And I flunked it. I have never flunked anything in my life. It's over two days. I think it was like eight hours one day, five hours the next day. And it was just like no way for me to focus for that amount of time. I flunked the test and that was like, that's when I was like, yep, we got to do this again because I can't be unmedicated and take like a, what is that? 12, 13 hour test. So I actually then went through the process again of getting diagnosed. I had my residency director fill out some of the questions. I was appropriately diagnosed, sent for treatment, and passed my boards the second time with no problems when I took it again. So it definitely was just a focus and concentration thing. Well, I'm sorry you had to go through that experience with that initial doctor. That sounds... Mm -hmm super invalidating and and really angering. I mean, you guys cannot see me that, but I'm black. So I definitely think that was a racist experience because why would you say somebody who has made it into medical school can't be in medical school like I was already there? So it's definitely something that women of, you know, any ethnicity and then people of color really go through. And it makes it hard to kind of reach out for help. And especially if you reach out for help and get that experience to then reach out again. So it definitely can be invalidating, but... If that does happen, I just want to say try again with someone that is a little bit more culturally competent and don't let that deter you from getting the help you need. We talk a lot on the show about intersectionality and like thank you for being vulnerable and sharing a racist experience. I did see on the internet that you co-founded an organization that works on a number of intersectional causes called Physician Women Source, so Support, Organize, Advocate, Reclaim. Can you talk a little bit more about what intersectionality means to you and a little bit about that organization and what you do there? So it started off as a Facebook group, and it is mainly a Facebook group of physician women of all intersections, so disability, ethnicity, race, religious, a-religious, all of those things, where we come together and we can learn from each other. And the rule of store is whatever topic we're discussing, we center the least heard voice or the voice that we're talking about. So if we're discussing Black issues, then Black voices are centered. If we're discussing Jewish issues, Jewish voices are centered, trans, you know, on and on. We do do some education, like with physicians. So we've done book clubs, reading a book called like Medical Apartheid, which talks about the history of racism in medicine, which every single medical student should have to read, but does not have to read. And then we raise money for organizations that we find important. My kind of rule of life and what I tell people all the time is really listen. So even as a psychiatrist, and I think especially for physicians of any kind, that we we are experts and we are experts, but we are still generally not the people going through whatever we are treating. So it's still important to listen to lived experiences. It's such important work. Yeah, I love that idea of learning through listening. I can I really resonate with that a lot, given what I do. <laughs> so I know there was a recent study that revealed that Asian, Black, Hispanic children are significantly less likely to be diagnosed with ADHD compared with white children. 
and white children also more likely to receive treatment for ADHD. It's pretty clear that there's more work that needs to be done within intersectionalities and medicine and learning and thinking differences. The reasons for that are twofold. Both reasons actually relate back to racism, but racism in the medical community itself. So when you see an Asian kid, for example, that is maybe making A's or or B's because they study 24-7, but they're really struggling to keep those grades up or not making good grades at all. So the stereotype is that Asian people are going to be smart, especially in math and sciences, right? So you're not going to look for additional reasons. You're just going to be like, oh, they're doing what they're supposed to do, even though they're saying that it's taking them twice as long or they're making tiny mistakes or whatever the case is. You expect them to do well and you just kind of don't look for reasons. Or say you have a Black or Hispanic kid that are stereotypically not expected to be smart, although I want to be clear that the the bell curve is the same in all races and ethnicities. But if you have, say, a Hispanic or a Black kid that's not paying attention, not doing well, maybe speaking out of turn or whatever, then you kind of jump to, oh, they're probably in a single parent home and they probably just don't know better. They're not being taught better versus looking for neurodiversity or reasons that that might be going on. So the second thing is, is parents, is the community. Rightly so. So Asian, Black, and Latino communities are suspicious of medicine, especially Latino, Indigenous, and Black communities have had a horrible history of being used and abused by the medical community in multiple horrendous ways. And so there, there's a valid mistrust of the medical community. When I was growing up, so when I was a child, if your kid was a quote unquote special education kid, they were kind of just put in a room, got a certificate for a graduation instead of a real diploma, not really taught anything. Now, my generation are parents, our grandparents that are older than us are the ones raising kids. And so when you kind of hear from a teacher or a physician, hey, I think your kid needs to be evaluated for a learning disability, and your mind jumps to, you're not going to just put my kid in a room and not educate them, you know, rightly so, because that's what used to happen. And sometimes, Mm. honestly, can still happen if you're not on top of it. That's an appropriate response. That takes education with the families and also takes them being able to trust their their clinician. So having those conversations about racism and the history of medicine and not pretending that you're the expert, you come into the room, hey, you do what I say, and leaving out the fact that there's generations of trauma here that comes into the room with these patients. Yeah, definitely. And inform people that that's like the context that people are coming from. You know, you mentioned some of the challenges that you had in med school. What advice do you have for anyone who's entering med school with ADHD and wants to succeed in this field? ADHD is one of the two diagnoses in psychiatry where the overwhelming evidence is that medications just really are helpful for ADHD. Mm-hmm. But please go through that process because there's lots of things you can do for ADHD. One of my kind of takes on it is if you're able to get done what you need to get done and your self-esteem is still intact and your relationships are still intact and you don't need a medication for that to happen, cool. But for me, my self-esteem dropped tremendously in medical school to the point that I kind of was like, hey, did I trick these people to get into medical school? Like to think I'm smart enough to get into medical school? Like maybe I actually don't deserve to be here because I was just struggling so bad. So I would recommend that for medical school, college, high school, especially with people that are that are able to kind of pull it together and 
in lower grades, sometimes that ability to overcompensate for or to compensate for ADHD falls apart at higher levels. So when you're getting to high school and you have like more independent studies, sometimes it doesn't happen to college. Sometimes it doesn't happen to people or parents and have to take care of themselves and others or until you're a boss at work and have multiple people. But if you get to that point where you're starting to fall apart, like please consider medications in addition to the many other things you can do, but don't shy away from medications just because they are medications. Yeah, it's all about figuring out what works for you. And it's definitely not the same for everyone. Right, right. What tools did you use in med school to help you get by? My tool that I used before med school was flashcards. So that's pretty much how I survived. My grade school education and college education was using flashcards for everything. Because flashcards, like for me, helped me focus because there's a question on the front and then the answer on the back. And I'm not just reading a page, get down a page of reading and realize I don't even remember what I read. So once I got to medical school, our, our lectures were recorded. So listening to the recording while going through the written transcripts and kind of highlighting things that helped. I had study groups. Study groups has always, always, always been my thing. Um, And I didn't realize that that's a very good tool for ADHD people in general until actually a a couple years ago. Like as an adult, I realized I had trouble getting things accomplished that I want. And so I started just having friends that I would like jump on Zoom with and we would, you know, do our own task mm-hmm. where it's called body doubling. And it is pretty common for people with ADHD. Mm-hmm. The other thing that I will say, I did go to the campus psychologist to help with test anxiety. At that time, again, I did not know I had ADHD. But if you are struggling, campus is a resource. So there's psychologists who may be able to provide testing, not all of them, but even if they can't, they can help with like helping you figure out how to study. So remembering that there's resources on campus too is helpful. Oh my God, you covered so many great, useful things. Yeah, body doubling is something that we talk about a lot here and understood having like an accountability buddy. So I hear that you're working on a podcast. Can you tell us about it? Yeah, so I have a podcast named Friday Night Soundbites. And it's named that initially just because I was doing Twitter Live on Friday nights. It's basically a podcast that talks about anything that's intersectional related. So it's very ADHD friendly because the topics are all over the place, but they have to relate back to either being an ethnic minority, disabled, LGBTQ, um, adoption. So we've done things that definitely we've talked about ADHD. We've talked about being LGBTQ and Christian. And we've talked about trauma in indigenous and black communities. We've talked about how to navigate disability. Like if you're going through the disability process, like trying to get disability, how to navigate that. So again, the topics are really pretty vast. So you can follow my website to follow when it will be released. And we'll have an episode on Friday nights. Perfect. So thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show. This was a really fun conversation, really insightful. Appreciate you being here. Thank you guys for having me. I really enjoyed the podcast. I love the work you guys do at Understood. So hopefully we can keep in touch. You've been listening to How'd You Get That Job from the Understood Podcast Network. This show is for you. So we want to make sure you're getting what you need. Email us at thatjob@understood.org with your thoughts about the show. Or maybe you'd like to tell us how you got that job. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to learn more about the topics we covered today, check out the show notes for this episode. We include more resources as well as links to anything we mentioned in the episode. Also, one of our goals at Understood is to help change the workplace so everyone can thrive. Check out what we're up to at u.org slash workplace. That's the letter u.org slash workplace. 
Understood.org is a resource dedicated to help people who learn and think differently discover their potential and thrive. Learn more at understood.org slash mission. How'd You Get That Job is produced by Margie DeSantis and edited by Mary Mathis. Brianna Berry is our production director. Our theme music was written by Justin D. Wright, who also mixes the show. For the Understood Podcast Network, Laura Key is our editorial director, Scott Kashir is our creative director, and Seth Melknick is our executive producer. And I'm your host, Eleni Mathieu. Thank you for listening. Listening.